Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Daily Gospel Exegesis podcast. Today, we're looking at quite an interesting passage, which is often used against Catholics and the way the Catholic Church operates. And so it's well worth digging into. So as always, we'll start by looking at the passage. We're in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered round Jesus, and they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with unclean hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and the Jews in general follow the tradition of the elders and never eat without washing their arms as far as the elbow. And on returning from the marketplace, they never eat without first sprinkling themselves. There are also many other observances which have been handed down to them concerning the washing of cups and pots and bronze dishes. So these Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not respect the tradition of the elders, but eat their food with unclean hands? He answered, It was of you hypocrites that Isaiah so rightly prophesied in this passage of scripture. This people honours me only with their lip service, while their hearts are far from me. The worship they offer me is worthless. The doctrines they teach are only human regulations. You put aside the commandment of God to cling to human traditions. And he also said to them, How ingeniously you get round the commandment of God in order to preserve your own tradition. For Moses said, Do your duty to your father and your mother, and anyone who curses father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, anything I have I might have used to help you is Corban, that is, dedicated to God, then he is forbidden from that moment to do anything for his father or mother. In this way, you make God's word null and void for the sake of your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many other things like this. So I think this is one of the passages that is uh, the most difficult often for Catholics to uh, to talk about because it condemns tradition, at least a form of tradition. And so it's a passage that I think is misunderstood even by Catholics because there's some things going on in the cultural background here in terms of Jews and the way their tradition operated that really needs to be unpacked. And I think it's well worth the Catholics doing that because they'll learn something actually about uh, Christian and Catholic tradition as well. So, starting at verse 1 here of chapter 7, we're introduced once again to the Pharisees. So, the Pharisees, remember, are the Jewish leaders of the common man. And they taught that the best way to get to God, in fact, the only way to get to God, was by strict observance of the Jewish law in the Old Testament. Now, it's important we keep this in mind because often we can make Pharisees sound like all negative, but in fact... I think their motivation is good. They want people to come to God. They believe it's important that people are holy and come to God. And they believe the best way to do that is by following the law. And that's all very Jewish. And so their job, because they could read and write, whereas um, the common Jew couldn't. So they saw their job as helping the common Jew meet the demands of God's law. And that's, in fact, a good thing. That's a noble thing. But the problem is they... By the time of Jesus, they had developed quite complex systems of how to follow the word of God that eventually, if followed to their conclusion, would 
in some way end up denying the word of God that they're supposed to protect. And that was the problem. And that was the problem Jesus had with them. Not that they made up laws, as we'll see, that's not, Jesus actually says that that's okay. That's a good thing. But it was just the way that things had developed over time, that by the time of Jesus, their laws had almost become more important than the laws of the Old Testament themselves. And that was the problem. And we also have here some of the scribes. And so scribes are expert copyists and scholars of the Jewish law. Remember, not many people could read or write. So if a scribe or a Pharisee told you something, you would probably believe it because you couldn't read the Old Testament for yourself. And these guys have come from Jerusalem, so they're absolute experts. This is a party of expert Jews that's been sent from Jerusalem up to Galilee to investigate the rumors about this guy, Jesus. And so they come and they see that some of his disciples, now notice it doesn't say the apostles, so this could be any of Jesus' disciples. And notice it says some That would imply that some, uh, you know, the rest of the group are not doing this, but some of his disciples are eating with unclean hands. That probably implies some of them aren't. So what's the problem here? Uh, Mark says that the Pharisees accuse them of eating with unclean hands without washing them. Now, as we just said, some of them are doing this, some of them aren't, which implies that there's different views even among Jesus' disciples about whether this law has to be followed. Now, Mark goes on to tell us what exactly this law means. What do you mean they're eating with unclean hands? Because a lot of Mark's readers were Gentiles like us, and so they don't know these Jewish customs. So Mark, thankfully, goes out of his way to explain what these customs are. And some scholars think the fact that the Pharisees have a problem or they're they're bringing up this eating issue might have a connection to something that had happened just a few verses before, which is the feeding of the 5,000. If you think about what happened in the feeding of the 5,000, probably a lot of the people there ate with unclean hands, and so maybe the people in Jerusalem heard about that, and they've said, why are Jesus' followers eating with unclean hands? And they've sent a party down to check it out. So that's possible. There could be a connection there. Verse 3 says, For the Pharisees and the Jews in general, this is Mark talking, so Mark tells us, the custom he's about to describe was followed by all Jews. They follow the tradition of the elders. Now, we need to unpack this concept of the tradition of the elders because it's not what a lot of people think it is. So the tradition of the elders wasn't just a word-of-mouth kind of thing that they had made up over time. That's not what the tradition of the elders is. So the tradition of the elders is actually a technical term for the Jews, And it's a body of authoritative teaching that is handed down between the generations of Jews. It's a legitimate teaching authority. So this tradition of the elders was legitimate teaching authorities that God had, in effect, commanded and that all Jews were required to follow. So whoever was in the authoritative position, which we'll talk about in a minute, when they commanded something, it became part of this body of teaching and it was binding on all Jews to follow. So again, this isn't something Pharisees have just made up themselves. This appears to be an actual authoritative body of teachings. So where does this come from, the tradition of the elders? So in the time of Moses, you remember that some of the things that happens to Moses, you know, it's God's word directly and Moses just relays what God's word is. But some a bit later on in Moses' ministry, 
people would come to Moses with uh, sort of everyday questions or legal questions. And Moses would sort of think about it for a while and then bring a judgment. So you'll see that like later in the book of Numbers, for example. And so Moses was considered to be an authoritative teacher. Whatever he said was binding on the people, but he wasn't necessarily infallible or inspired all the time. It's just that he had legitimate authority. So whatever he said, this is Moses, you had to listen to him. And that authority came to be known as the seat of Moses. Um, After Moses died, he actually passed on his authority by laying on his hands. He actually laid his hands on to Joshua. And Joshua then had the position of being in the seat of Moses. Uh, Eventually, this office of the seat of Moses through the Jewish centuries was passed on to the prophets and to the priests. And then by the time of Jesus, the legitimate teaching authority had eventually been passed on to the Pharisees. Interestingly enough, the Pharisees had, as a collective group, they had the authority of Moses, which means that whatever they said became binding on Jews. Not that they couldn't be wrong. They could be wrong. It's just that the Jews had to accept and respect whatever they said. They had to respect this legitimate God-given authority. We don't often hear this side of the Pharisees. We think the Pharisees just kind of were a group that rose up and just made some things up. But in fact, it appears that in a sense they had inherited uh, the genuine teaching office. So where do we get this from? A key verse, which isn't talked about enough, I think, Matthew 23 verse 2. And this is Jesus talking. This is what Jesus says. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. So that's Jesus talking. That tells us a lot about the Pharisees. So Jesus, in this verse, tells us the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so they have legitimate authority, and he also tells them to observe everything they tell you to do. So Jesus actually says... Uh, the Pharisees have legitimate teaching authority, do whatever they tell you. But then, of course, he goes on to say, but don't copy them because they do not practice what they preach. And that's the issue Jesus tends to have, is that it's not that the laws they make are unholy. It's just that the Pharisees themselves, as individual people, kind of end up being unholy. So this body of teaching that the Pharisees had, we could call this Jewish tradition, was authoritative. All Jews must obey the tradition of the elders, but it was not necessarily inspired or protected from error. So we have here a body of teaching that gets added to each generation, the Pharisees at this time are the administrators of it, but it's and it's binding, not necessarily God's direct word, not necessarily infallible or inspired, but needs to be respected. That tells us something about the way God wants the world to operate. He puts religious authorities in authority to be respected and followed, even if they're not always right. We need to keep that in mind. Now, there's one other aspect of this that we need to say before we continue, which is what's the relationship between this legitimate Jewish authority and the Old Testament? Probably the way we should look at it is this. The laws of the Torah, of the Old Testament, particularly the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, were more authoritative than genuine Jewish tradition. So, the Jewish tradition did have an authority, and the Pharisees did have a legitimate teaching authority, but the laws of the Torah were of a higher authority. So, at the time of the Pharisees, this is probably what God intended, how 
God intended things to work, is that the Pharisees should guard and interpret the laws of the Old Testament as best as they can with their God-given authority. But if there's a situation where the teaching authority of the Jews contradicts the original teaching of the Torah, then the law of the Torah must take precedence. And in that case, the Jewish tradition, for that matter, would not be binding because it contradicts the very word of God in the Torah. Remember, the word of God in the Torah is inspired. It's inerrant. Uh, The Jewish tradition that was handed down was not that. In all other cases, though, if there's no contradiction between a Jewish authoritative teaching and the word of God in the Old Testament, then that law in the Jewish teaching would be binding. So we need to keep that in mind. The people did need to follow the laws of the Pharisees as long as they didn't contradict the Old Testament. Now, if that's the kind of tradition we're talking about, then it could it sounds like this custom of washing hands before a meal, which is the problem in view, is a legitimate teaching authority, which the Jews were expected to follow. It doesn't appear to contradict any of God's word in the Old Testament. Now, what is this tradition about washing hands? So, Mark mentions that there was two laws about it that were going on at the time that they expected all Jews to follow. So, firstly, never eat without washing their arms as far as the elbow. So, that's to make the hands ritually clean and to make sure it's ritually clean uh, before eating. And secondly, on returning from the marketplace, they were never to eat without first sprinkling themselves. So when they came back from the marketplace, they had to wash away any impurities that they might have acquired from the marketplace. Interestingly, the word here for sprinkling when you get back from the marketplace can legitimately be translated as baptize. So the Jews did have kind of their own version of baptism going on even before John the Baptist. So it's kind of like a ritual cleansing. Both of those with hand washing kind of things have to do with ritual purity, not hygiene. So initially, these rules, it appears, were for priests in the Old Testament. If you look at Exodus and Numbers, it mentions these hand-washing rituals for priests. It doesn't say that it should be extended to the general population in the Old Testament. But by the time of Jesus, the Jewish old tradition had developed. And by the time of Jesus, it had bound all Jews to follow those hand-washing rituals. So it's apparently these two things that Jesus' disciples are not doing which they probably should be if it is a legitimate uh, binding Jewish teaching. Verse 4, and Mark now tells us, there are also many other observances which have been handed down to them concerning the washing of cups and pots and bronze dishes. So we also learn there's additional laws about how to wash dishes as well as hands. So Mark tells the readers this comment to give an indication of what the Jewish custom was like at the time. Verse 5, so the Pharisees now question Jesus about it. They say, why do your disciples not respect the tradition of the elders? Or another translation is, walk according to the tradition. But they eat their food with unclean hands. Now, once again, you'll notice here, as Jesus often does, he doesn't actually answer their question. He doesn't answer the question of why their disciples don't respect the tradition. Uh, it, It could well be, we need to keep this on the table, it could well be that his disciples probably should have been following this law um, because it is a binding Jewish tradition. But Jesus doesn't tell us one way or the other. He doesn't address whether it's a legitimate authoritative law. 
it probably is authoritative, even if it's uh, theologically mistaken, as we'll learn in tomorrow's podcast. Jesus adds on some more theological information about the washing of hands. So instead of answering their question, what he does is he directs the Pharisees back to something much more fundamental that they have missed. And in this case, uh, it's that they're more concerned with their systems and their traditions rather than actually fulfilling the will of God. So let's keep moving then. Verse 6, Jesus says to them, It was of you hypocrites. Now, hypocrites is a word that's really interesting. It means stage actors. So it's people who are faking it in some way. And this is the main criticism Jesus has of the Pharisees all through the Gospels. So let's be careful here. Jesus doesn't have a problem with the Pharisees per se in terms of them being religious authority. He says they have legitimate authority. But here's the issue he has with them. It's that they preach the need for external righteousness, but they themselves don't actually have righteous hearts. So the Pharisees get so caught up in specifics that they constantly end up missing God's fundamental requirements. A key passage for this is Matthew 23, verse 23. And this is a passage which needs to be talked about more. If we unpacked this passage more, we would understand uh, how the law was supposed to work a little more. So that passage says, and this is Jesus talking, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You pay tithes of mint, dill, and cumin, but you have disregarded the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So I think that's such an important passage. Jesus says, you should be practicing these little external requirements, but you should not have neglected the more important aspects of the law, which are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. God desires that we fulfill those first, they're the weightier matters of the law, and then the external requirements. Notice Jesus doesn't say, you shouldn't have done the external requirements. He says, you should do the external requirements along with the internal requirements. That was where the Pharisees went wrong. They did the external, but not the internal. We always want to keep that in mind about the Pharisees. So I'm going on a little bit today about tradition and Pharisees and Jewish customs, but That's what exegesis is all about, trying to understand how the original hearers would have understood what Mark was saying. And so Jesus says, It was of you hypocrites that Isaiah so rightly prophesied. So Jesus tells us that this particular prophecy that he's about to quote has been fulfilled now in their hearing in the time of the Pharisees, which is actually pretty remarkable. And this is what he quotes from Isaiah. This people honours me only with lip service, while their hearts are far from me. The worship they offer me is worthless. The doctrines they teach are only human regulations. And that's from Isaiah 29, which in context, it's written in about 700 BC. Isaiah is talking about the Jewish leaders at the time, who were corrupt. And the Jewish leaders at the time of Isaiah were doing externals. They were offering sacrifices, they were fulfilling all of the laws but they did not have hearts that truly desired to do God's will. So they were righteous externally, but not internally. And for that reason, God saw their worship as meaningless. The Pharisees in Jesus' day were basically the same. Externally, they were all good, but internally, they were far from God. That was Jesus' criticism of them. We need to take that warning on as well. That probably still applies today. 
if we're externally righteous, but not internally, we don't practice love and justice uh, and all those mercy and those internal requirements that God wants of us, then he probably sees our external worship as meaningless. But when the two are paired together, the internal and the external, that's when true worship happens. Verse 8, Jesus goes on, You put aside the commandments of God and hold fast to the traditions of men. Now, here's the passage which is often used against Catholics. So Jesus tells us here that at least some of the Pharisees' traditions at the time were going against the laws of the Torah, which means that those ones that were going against the law of the Torah were not binding. They can't be if they contradict the Torah. So the Pharisees overall then are not doing a good job of protecting and interpreting God's law correctly. Not necessarily the hand-washing law, though. We don't know whether Jesus is talking about the hand-washing law here, because that could be a legitimate Jewish tradition, because that doesn't appear to contradict anything in the Old Testament. Verse 9, Jesus goes on. This is a pretty scathing criticism here. He says, How ingeniously you get around the commandment of God in order to preserve your tradition. So Jesus here tells us their motivation. Why are they not following the Torah? It's because they want to preserve their Jewish traditions so much that it sometimes means that they actually go against the Torah, whether they realize it or not. And some scholars have said that what the Pharisees are doing here is they're actually deliberately trying to avoid following the Torah. They don't like the Torah and they're trying to avoid following it. It's not clear whether that's true. It could just be that by accident, they've ended up nullifying the Torah. But in any case, they are putting their own, the Jewish authoritative tradition above the Torah, and it's supposed to be the other way around. So Jesus now gives us an example, a specific example of how the Pharisees put legitimate authoritative Jewish teachings above the Torah. Verse 10, for Moses said, do your duty to your father and your mother, and anyone who curses father or mother must be put to death. So what Jesus has just quoted is two passages from the Torah, and one of them is the fourth commandment. So highly binding, highly authoritative teaching, which can't be contradicted by anything the Pharisees teach. It's of fundamental importance. So any later Jewish tradition which ends up contradicting this law in the Torah is not an authentic law. It doesn't is not binding on Jews to follow. Verse 11, he's going to give an example here. So, firstly, let's talk about the word korban. So, korban was a legitimate Jewish practice, which was part of the authentic Jewish tradition, where the Jews could vow to dedicate a sum of money to the temple for God's service. So, that's what korban is. So, someone who was a Jew who was going to do this would say something like this. I have vowed to set aside this money as korban for God's service. And as soon as the Jews said that, it was binding. They had to set aside the money for God's service. Apparently, some Jews in Jesus' time were abusing this korban thing, which was, remember, korban is a legitimate thing, but some Jews were doing this with their money to avoid looking after their aged parents. So they were saying to their parents, Sorry, mum and dad, uh, the money I would have used to look after you, even though you're old and sick, I've actually decided to uh, use give that away as korban to the temple. So that was how they were sort of going about avoiding looking after their parents. And Jesus goes on, but you say, 
If a man says to his father or mother, anything I have might, that might be used to help you is korban, dedicated to God, then he is forbidden from that moment to do anything for his father or mother. So the Pharisees, as we learn here, were teaching that a person could indeed make something korban, which would have otherwise been used to help their parents. And if a Jew does that, then legitimately it is bound and they're therefore forbidden from using that money to help their parents. That's what the Pharisees were teaching. In other words, the Pharisees here were teaching that the Korban law, which was a later Jewish tradition, although it is authoritative and binding, they were saying that that takes precedence over God's law in the Torah, which is not right. That's not how God set up the Jewish laws to operate. Why would the Pharisees... uh, endorse this interpretation? Why would they say the Korban law takes precedence over the fourth commandment? There's two options, and you could go with either. Firstly, it could be that they don't like the fourth commandment, they don't like the mosaic requirement of respecting parents, and they're trying to find a way around it. Or it could be that they respected the Korban law so highly that they ended up placing that law above the law regarding parents. It depends on what you think the Pharisees' motivation is. Are they trying to protect the Corban law or are they trying to avoid the fourth commandment law? I suspect it's more of the second. They're just trying to protect this Corban law. And in that case, then they're accidentally contradicting the fourth commandment without really realizing the gravity of what they're doing there. Verse 13, Jesus brings his point home. In this way, you make God's work null and void for the sake of your tradition. So the Pharisees wanted to obey God's law in the Torah, but over time, as we've said, they ended up placing the genuine Jewish traditions as a higher authority than the Torah. And therefore, in doing so, they actually made God's law in the Torah void. The Pharisees prided themselves on being the guardians and protectors and interpreters of the Torah. So Jesus coming along saying that they have in fact emptied the Torah of its power would be quite an insult to them. Jesus concludes by saying, and you do many other things like this. So apparently there's lots of ways where the Pharisees were placing the Jewish traditions above God's law, such as probably the Sabbath interpretations we've looked at in chapter 2 and 3, where they uh, saw a specific manifestation of the Sabbath as being more important than fulfilling God's original intention for the Sabbath. So hopefully all that background about the Jewish Uh, tradition actually having binding authority helps us see this passage in a different light. Jesus is not discrediting tradition as a whole. He says the Pharisees actually have a legitimate tradition, legitimate teaching authority that the Jews were required to obey. But he says that some of their traditions have actually ended up contradicting the word of God in the Torah, and therefore those Jewish traditions are not to be obeyed. That's Jesus' problem with the Pharisees here. Now, I just want to say something about how tradition works in Catholic teaching. Obviously, this could be unpacked a lot more, and books and books have been written about it, but I think it's worth making a comment about it in this podcast too. So, in Catholic teaching, tradition, with a capital T, does have a legitimate place and is, in a sense, a continuation of the authoritative binding tradition that the Pharisees had at the time. So, the Catholic tradition is kind of a continuation of that, sort of, But there's some differences. So firstly, the Catholic tradition is now derived from the seat of Peter rather than the seat of Moses. Secondly, it's not man-made tradition in Catholic 
thinking. It's actually guided by the Holy Spirit. So in a sense, capital T tradition is God-made, not man-made. Thirdly, Catholic tradition can't, logically, it can't contradict God's revelation in the Bible in a fundamental way because it's guided by the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that inspired the Bible. Whereas in the time of the Jews, their tradition was not guided by the Holy Spirit. It would appear. Fourthly, uh, the Catholic tradition carries equal authority to God's revelation in the Bible because both of them make clearer the deposit of faith which was given to the apostles. And all of those points are brought out a lot better in the Catechism and in other uh, theological writings. And so tradition does have a legitimate place, um, particularly Catholic tradition, because we believe that in certain conditions, the tradition of the church is in fact guided and taught by the Holy Spirit himself. So it's been a bit of a longer podcast today, and so... Uh, There are a few catechism passages which make reference to this. Um, Paragraph 581, there's a discussion about Jesus and the law, and this passage we've looked at from Mark 7 has a bearing on that um, because of what he says to the Pharisees about their interpretation of the law. And there's also a couple of short passages about uh, the fourth commandment and how Jesus affirms the requirement to follow the fourth commandment as he does here in Mark chapter 7. So that's the end of the podcast today. Um, It's gone on for a bit longer, but I hope you can see that doing exegesis is really useful, particularly with passages like this, where A, it can be used against Catholics, and sometimes Catholics don't know the background enough to respond, and B, there's actually certain phrases that need to be unpacked here, which a lot of people don't know about, such as that the Jews did have a legitimate teaching authority which was exhibited through the teaching of the Pharisees that all Jews had to follow. Hopefully you found this interesting. Um, I certainly do. And if you think some other people would benefit from hearing this, um, maybe some people who are often challenged in their Catholic faith with verses like this one, um, then please share this podcast with them. Thanks for listening.